from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Ron, we are going to be talking about prices, profits, and fairness. My favorite topic, Ed. You're, this is your favorite topic. Like no, you like this really, more than more than more than talking about timesheets and and and. I, I I like the I like the philosophy in this topic. Yeah, the, the philosophy is, is. Yes. You know yeah, the just no, price. Is, the usury yeah. laws, sumptuary laws, right? Yeah. That stuff is very, very interesting to me. It is. It is. Well, set this up for us, Ron, because this is something that comes up fairly often in the conversations that we have when we're teaching pricing. The the, the subject of a fair price will come up and uh, we we will we'll, we we do kind of have a have a set diatribe that we address. But I think I what I want to do today is perhaps expand a little bit what you know normally it's probably about a five minute answer. But let's let's give some some further background on this. Well, I've always been really interested why, you know, the Congress gets together and they, you know, people have all these conspiracy theories that the oil companies set the price, like there's some man behind the curtain, you know, moving levers like the Wizard of Oz that is setting worldwide oil prices or pharmaceutical companies are brought before Congress. And even there's been some recent activity on this. Why are your prices so high? Look at your profits. You know, you spend too much on advertising and marketing, all these things. And yet, Ed, movie stars and athletes make a ton in rents, and nobody seems to complain much. I know sports fans can complain. Oh, he's not worth, you know, $600 million five-year contract or whatever. Of course, depending on how he's performing, right, then if he's right. doing good, then he's worth every penny, you know. Right. Um, but, but, but even – even more banal things like premium ice cream brands and premium chocolates. I mean, they make a margin that would make the robber barons blush. <laughs> and there's no, there's no appropriate for them. You know, nobody, nobody bashes them, but they bring up with what they bring out the oil, the pharmaceutical companies, these other things. And I've always thought that there's a double standard between an individual making an enormous profit I mean, after all, you wouldn't work for 50% of your current wage. Aren't you kind of earning what the market will bear, or at least what you think the market will bear? You know, you, you, even we charge what the market will bear even for our own labor, right? And yet, or if you turn a profit in a hot real estate market, people, will, you know, pat you on the back, say, hey, great job, you know, flipping that house in a year and making pocket in 20 grand or whatever. That's an incredible profit compared to what some of these, even the big oil companies make, and yet there's no outrage over it. And I've always found that double standard intriguing. Sure. A cosmetics is another great example, right? I mean, yes. they're like an outrageous 90 plus percent gross profit margin in a lot of cases on, on this stuff. Yep. Um, in many cases, some of those things come out of the same factory in some distant place and go into different different brands and are the exact same product. And 
there, there was one more recently. I think 60 Minutes tried to take down the people who do eyeglasses. Like there's like this one mm. big conglomerate in, I think it's Italy that they, that makes most of the frames. Right. And there was a big problem with that. And I, again, I think that, cause that was, qu- that's quasi medical, right? How could right, you right, charging sure. for, you know, s- eyesight, et cetera. That, that's a need, but, you know, not yeah. a want type of thing. Yeah, exactly. But you, you know, your, your example of the sports uh, people is, is a, is a great one. I mean, I, in fact, I saw a meme today, pretty interesting it says if 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 we want to try socialism why don't we just try it first in sports right right? yes why why don't we why don't we just say okay the new england patriots instead of you know tom brady getting all this money we're just going to take every team is just going to get a certain amount of money and they're just going to give it out the equal to everybody on the team see see how good that team does yep be a great (laughs) experiment wouldn't it Uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah you know or if somebody on a, a movie in a movie, you know, let's let's take let's take the movie stars, the the other people who are in the movie, the other actors who are in the movie, the tech people, the the sh- the, the, the people who run and get get lunch for everybody. Just take the money that the movie makes and just divide it over all those people evenly. See yep. see how well that works. And why would why would our friends in Hollywood reject that? I you know I would yeah. think that they would be all about it. I don't know. They advocated everywhere else, like you know, like Dennis Miller says. Uh, socialism sound it's kind of like a nude nude beach it sounds good until you get there <laughs> which i think is a great line it is a great line it is a great line <laughs> well and it, and it does get back to this word in a sense because i know we're going to talk prices and profits but I, I wanted to see if we could start around this concept of fairness right because it, it yeah, it's not just the profits too it's it's prices there's a lot of issues around prices we've done a show on you know, playing with fire, price discrimination, you know, the Coke vending machine example, you can find all sorts of different examples of, of uh, what people perceive to be unfairness in prices. Um, And it it does come down to that word fairness, whether you're talking about prices specifically or profits and fairness to me, my famous line or favorite line when it comes to fairness is, you know, we have free speech in the United States constitution, not fair speech, but, Give us the distinction. Give us the nomenclature of the word fairness. I, I that's another fascinating. It is. It is really fascinating. And here's another thing that comes up: the minimum wage, right? In yes. fact, the in 2007, I think it was the last time that there was a minimum wage passed by Congress. It was. It was called the Fair Minimum Wage, wage. Law. It yep. was, which is a price, right? right? I mean, right. Which, yeah. yep. And they use that, and of course, seven dollars an hour. Why? Or seven dollars, seven twenty-five, seven twenty-five, or what? Why not fourteen? Right. <laughs> why not seventy? What? What? What is it about fair? And I uh, came across this video a number of years ago that was on Reason. We'll post a link up to it. Bart uh, Wilson is the guy's name, who is a a, a researcher, research of uh, in does a lot of economic research. I would not call him a behavioral guy, although he's probably connected in some way. And he came across a book by a, the linguist Anna Wirtzbitska. Isn't that a great name? Wirtzbitska. Wow. And she had a whole chapter on this concept of fair in this book. And he explains in this video that it's an Anglo concept. In fact, when you translate it into even German, it, it, it translates into the word that also means just. 
Same thing with French, French. any of the Romance language. If you change it into tra tra translate fair into French, it would be juste, which if you translate juste back, it would be just. And just and fair aren't the same in English, right? Uh, some of the things that we think of as fair, you have a, you have a, you would say a teacher was fair, right? You wouldn't say a teacher was just. Mm -hmm. would you, that, that would, would no. make no sense in the context, right? Yep. And then, then of course, you know, my favorite example is, is in baseball, right? There's, there's fair and foul in terms of the, the ball. And because the opposite of fair originally in the Anglo was, was foul, right? Fair weather, foul weather. Sure, sure. Right? Yep. So you have that, that example. Of course, here's a little interesting tidbit for you, Ron. You know, they, they call them the, the foul lines, mm -hmm. right, in baseball. Yep. But if you hit the line, it's fair. They really mm -hmm. should be called the fair lines. <laughs> the fair lines, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> if it hits the line, it's actually fair. <laughs> because that's interesting, Ed. You said that about the weather, fair and foul. I was trying to think of other examples where we do use both fair and foul, fair ball, foul ball. We mm -hmm. do say fair weather, foul weather. Are there any other examples? Um, not, not that I came across, but this this guy went back and he, he even went to the first dictionary of the of the English language, Samuel Johnson. Mm -hmm. And he cites something, uh, Jonathan Swift, who says to me, you come to me like an unfair merchant, right? So even the example that Johnson is giving is around the notion of an unfair merchant, unfair. Right. right? An unfair merchant. And th th someone who tips the scale, someone who purposefully goes outside the rules. And this is where it seems to really begin to play, that fair has this notion of being outside the, the rules. And sometimes they're just tacit rules, right? It's not explicit like in baseball, the line, right? But it's sometimes just tacit rules, like the fair teacher, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's not, a, there's not a, a specific set of rules. It's tacit rules as to what is and is not an unfair teacher. And here's the really interesting thing about fairness. This, this researcher, Bart Wilson, talks about the ultimatum game. Ultimatum game is it's a variation on prisoner's dilemma. So uh, I'm given 10 bucks and I'm, I'm paired up with you, Ron, and I have to decide I, I'm the one who makes the offer. I say, here's $10. I have to give something to you. Here's what I'm going to give. And you get to either accept or reject the offer, right? And if you accept the offer, then we both get the money. Right. If you reject the offer, neither of us gets the money. Get anything, yep. Right? So the notion is, is that the, the modal offer in most cases is what? Five dollars, right? I'm right. going to say I'll offer you. Now, so the question is, is, well, if I offer you four and I'll take six, are you going to take that offer? Right. Right. And standard and, economics say I should take anything, you know, from a penny. I should take right. a penny. Take a penny. You should take off. anything. Right. But I won't. Because of you think it's unfair. unfair. Right. There's no rule. There's right. no rule that says that. It's just that you think it's unfair. I'm just, and, you know, it's a cheap way to punish a jerk. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm, yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, here's what's interesting, of course, and let's loop in something that we, we often talk about, artificial intelligence. Well, if you built a bot, what would you tell the bot to do? Take a penny. Take, take a penny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Depending on how many times you're going to play. <laughs> Mr. 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 Spock. 
is always going to take the penny, right? Or if you're working just on logic. So I think it loops in, into this last thing. But then Wilson did something, and I, and I don't often talk about this aspect of the video, but, it, but it's fascinating. He also then would bring people into the lab. And the first thing that he would do is he would give them like a 10-question quiz about some subject. Didn't matter the subject. Sometimes it's math. Sometimes it's history. Sometimes it's science, right? And then he divides the groups up into those that did better on the test and those that did worse on the test. And they are told that, all right, you did better on the test and you did, you did, you did above average, you did below average, right? Wouldn't you know it that the modal offer does what? It goes down. In other words, instead of offering $5, I usually end up offering four or three. But here's the crazy part. The acceptance level goes up. Mm. Mm. That is <laughs> right? interesting. Yep. So if it's if it's predisposed that we've already separated this group by some criteria, which is relatively arbitrary and in going into an experiment and taking a quiz about general science or general his histories, right? All of a sudden we the, the people that are, are offered the lower amount of money are okay with taking the lesser amount or are more likely to take the lesser amount, I should say, because it's now perceived as what? It's now perceived as fair. So what's interesting about this is, is it just shows you that this notion of fairness is just like any price is completely contextual, mm -hmm. right? So how is it possible for people and policymakers in Washington to decide what a fair wage is? Right. Right. Because what they're what they're doing is they're 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 trying they're looking at it from the, the idea of equality or justice or inequality. They're coming at it from they're not coming at it from the context of is it in or outside the set of tacit rules for the specific location, time and place where any kind of offer is made. Right. 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 So anyway, that's the preamble. We're up against our first break, but I, I wanted to, I think I, talking about fairness is a good setup for the rest of the stuff that we're, we're going to share with you today. Wanted to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the show notes and previews to upcoming shows are available on the website, The Soul of Enterprise, where we also have our archive page and where you can see all of the previous episodes, 241 of them that we've done. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. 
The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise. And it's completely unfair because I totally dominated that first segment, Ron, with my my regaling you with the origin origin of the word fair and its meaning and context but i but i do think it sets us up for the rest of what we want to talk about so let me let me kick it over to you and see where, where do you want to where do you want to go with this now well you know i i um there was an author that i really liked the late father uh richard john newhouse who was i just think a beautiful writer and he just wrote on all these different topics but he wrote a, a book called doing well and doing good and he explains the ancient debate of a just price and, you know, the idea that there's a right amount or a just amount always runs up against the question compared to what, right? Mm-hmm. And he wrote, the conventional answer is that one pays what the market demands or what the market will bear, kind of like how you wouldn't work for, you know, half of what they're currently paying you. He says, from a- a- Athens to Elizabethan England to the great terror of the French Revolution, societies have experimented with sumptuary laws, setting limits on people's income and expenditures. I mean... And, the, and you get into these sumptuary laws, Ed, and it's just fascinating. You could only wear certain clothes. Only the royalty could wear, you know, silk or cups or, you know, they have all these laws. And he said none of them worked out very well because the obvious reason is it's almost impossible to agree on the on the standards, right? Mm-hmm. Few egalitarians, even among the well-to-do, propose a top income limit that is less than what they themselves receive. And, uh, you know, that's a really good point. So we've got the just price, which has been debated for centuries going, you know, theologians have debated it. There's some really interesting stuff on it. But then, of course, there's uh, there's uh, usury laws, right, which the churches and even some current religions don't like uh, charging interest. And um, and then, of course, there's the whole price controls. Um Right, Diocletian, the Roman Empire, you know, had a, a edict for fixing prices, and you know, if you violated them, it was punishable by death. Hmm. So it's like it's one of those examples of you know, innovation used to be a bad word, and right. now it's accepted. Well, same thing here. I mean, it, it. I mean, think about that. If you violate a fixed price, you're going to get punished by with death, basically, because of these. Uh, because of these laws. So really, really interesting. Um, so, you know, we talk today about price gougers and all of these different things of blackmailers, obviously. I mean, there's theft and there's extortion, all these different things. But if you're just talking about regular market um, transactions, the thing that gets me is somebody, the, the, this is the late Senator Paul Wellstone, and I always quote this guy and 
Um, yeah, you get crap for this because he I, is. Yeah, I do get really crap for this, especially in Minnesota. He is very, very he's, well he's loved. Very well loved in Minnesota, and uh, I did quote it there once. But he did say on the floor of Congress or floor of the Senate that we have an industry that makes exorbitant profits off sickness, misery, and illness of people, and that is obscene. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, well, orthopedic surgeons make money, you know, from people breaking their legs skiing. Um, the fact is that the surgeon gets you better. The pharmacy, the pharmacy hopefully gets you better. You know, they're paid to get us well, not, not, not to live off of our misery. I just think that whole thing is just bizarre. It's a bizarre way of looking at it. Far, but, farmers, farmers prey on our hunger, uh, our hunger. Absolutely. So are they preying on our hunger or are they saving us with food? I just, I, I guess there's two ways of looking at it, but one of them doesn't make any sense to me. I think what people complain about is that the thing that, that is considered the quote unfair price. And let's 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 uh, adjust that for a second, right? So what what is an unfair price? Is there such thing as an unfair price? That that phrase is used and it fairness is. in the in the fair, fairness in the context that I just gave it, meaning outside the the, the lines, outside the norms. Um, and I, I think that I think there is an unfair price, but where where is it that one must pay an unfair price? That that to right. me becomes that well you did you don't have any choice but to pay it. I suppose there are some places, right? But let's experiment because I think we had a conversation when we interviewed Reed Holden on this show four years ago. Yeah. I think we asked him specifically about this topic and, and said, yeah. let t talk to talk to me. Give me an example of an unfair price. And he gave one, an example that, that it was a personal example for him where he said that he had a problem. With, I think it was the ice maker on his refrigerator just might've been the refrigerator, but that's, that's, that's how I remember it. And he called Sears or whoever it was and said, Hey, I need you to come fix my, my ice maker. And they, they came out. And they they gave him a price. Now I forget whether they gave him a price up front or they just did the repair and then gave him the bill afterwards. That that I, that is I'm not that's not part of my recollection, right? But he said it was a it was a crazy price. It was just some something incredibely stupid. One hundred and fifty dollars or something for this this part. I think it was like two seventy five or something. Well, yeah, it, some it was kind of high. Yeah, it was a high. It was a high price for what he perceived to be low. And. I, as it's coming back to me, I remember he was given the choice because I do remember sure. I did I did follow up and ask him, and I, and he he paid it and he said that's an example of an unfair price. I said, Reed, did you pay it? He said, Yes. I said, Well, why? Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't have a choice. Yeah, you you did. You yeah, you, you could have gotten you you could have gotten a whole nother refrigerator. You could have lived without an ice maker. Right, you, you could have had your, you could have ran down to the store and bought ice, you know. Right, the, there were all there were alternatives that. Absolutely. Now you may not have liked your choice. You may have been, been, and this is where giving three options, I think, comes in and overcomes some of this objection. Absolutely. Right, if but but, it, it, that doesn't mean that it was unfair. If you if you were if it was unfair, you shouldn't have paid it. It was I, I would throw it back on you for not paying it. <laughs> right. Right. And, and that merchant, you know, has every incentive to check those prices. And if people are, are declining, then he's going to make adjustments. Right. Mm -hmm. It's determined by the customer. You know, there's an old legal maxim and I've got the, I've got the Latin here, but it's really long. So I'll let, I'll let you read it at a different point. But the, <laughs> the, the maxim is the buyer buys for as little as possible and the seller sells for as much as possible. 
And it's another thing that's always astonished me besides the double standard that we hold people and corporations to or businesses is, um, you know, if it's indeed unfair to charge a high price, like Reed's example, why is it okay for consumers to pay low prices? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the example of this is, this is back in the, uh, geez, this was back in the nineties. Uh, so it was way before eBay, way even before the internet got going with e-commerce and certainly before Amazon. But I walked into a used bookstore in San Diego and there was a Stanley Marcus book and it was a first edition that was signed by Stanley. It was his book, Minding the Store. And I've oh, been looking right. for this book a long time and, and I had already gotten a copy of it, but I didn't have the first edition. I didn't have a hardcover and I didn't have one signed by him. And I opened it up and, and right, right when I saw it, it was in good condition, I said, I'm, I'm, I'd be willing to pay a hundred bucks for this. And when I opened up the book, it was 10. Now, I didn't walk up to the store owner and say, oh, look, Ed, I was willing to pay 100. You priced it at 10. I'll tell you what, I'll split the difference. No, I paid 10 and walked out of there $90 richer than I than even I was from the $10 profit, you know, right. that I still made. And was that unethical? Was that unfair? The buyers are never held to the same standard as the sellers uh not necessarily but that's changing too i mean this is this is you know why why are you shopping at walmart you you should you should be you know you should be shopping at mom and pop stores locally ron and not not get lower prices so see there's there is an element of that that the is right no you're right walmart does get bashed for that and 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 then when you you know look at this trump tariff kerfuffle or whatever you want to call it. We're I would go debacle, debacle, debacle. Uh, stupidity comes to mind. The word stupidity <laughs> comes to mind. Uh, economic illiterate comes to mind, but put that, <laughs> put that all aside. All right. Why is it that all these politicians now are running to the microphone saying, oh, this is going to cost the poor the worst because the prices of things are going up like shampoo and dog. Call- I mean, I heard a politician prattle off shampoo, dog collars, a whole bunch of just, you know, standard kind of fair items. And I thought, really? You bash Walmart when it charges low prices. And now all of a sudden, because of the policy you don't like, it's creating an uptick. You're jumping on this. It's just, it has nothing to do with fairness. Right. Because, because they have redefined, and it's only since the 1990s that we, that it's been redefined as in a, it, inequality, right? Right. That that's, I mean, get back to this definitional piece. Now I, I would suggest to you that the, the price for the EpiPen that mm-hmm. was, that went all over the internet, that $750 or whatever thing that in my mind, that was an unfair price based on a couple of things. One, in many cases, all you had to do was ask and you've received substantial discounts. Right. So the, it, right. But the, so the, but the price was just out there, but the reason why the price was so high is not because of the, and this is what everybody said. There's only, you know, $2 worth of cost in the little, whatever, whatever in the, the, the fluid that that's in there, it's, you know, cheap to be made, etc. But the, the, uh, the, the problem was the, the, the this notion of it, it was the delivery system that was patented and then the FDA gave this guy a the the exclusive the exclusivity to d- distribute the the technology of the delivery system right 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 
And to me, that was an unfair price because it, it in the end, it had to come down, which is why there were discounts available and all, all of this stuff. But it was because of a government intervention that caused the unfairness in the price. In the first and and there was there were captive markets. There, there was a lot to that story. I think didn't reason or Cato, somebody dived into that in unbelievable depth. And, and they talked about captive markets. The schools had to buy that brand, right. you know, and have a one or two on site at all times. So that was a, that was bootlegger and Baptist if I ever saw it. Exactly. Exactly. But it's one of the few examples that I would say of a truly unfair price right. because it was outside the norm sure. of, of the, 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 the tacit morality of the situation, sure. right? the tacit rules of the situation. And a business isn't going to, isn't going to last long if it, if it violates those. I mean, I, we're not saying, we're not trying to make the argument that fairness in the minds of your customers is not important. It is. It is. You oh, yes, 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 I, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, the airlines and they've dealt with that. The hotels have dealt with that just, you know, by having different seats and different times of purchase and all of that. But um, a complete unfairness like the EpiPen doesn't happen a lot. Those are yeah. real outlier examples. Yep. Totally agree. All right, Ron, against our next break here, remind you the soul of enterprise.com is the place to go. Our calendar on that site, if you just click at the top, there is a calendar available and all of those are valid dates for Ron and myself who are appearing. Uh, it is tis the season, Ron, a lot of uh, accounting shows and things happening. So if you want to see Ron or myself live in an event, please click on our calendar page. But right now, a word from our sponsor. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about prices, profits, and that lovely word, fairness. And, and Ed, uh, there's a story that I put in my book, Implementing Value Pricing, and it's called A Fair Price Utopia Gone Wrong. And it starts out, once upon a time, there was a fair price utopia. In it, 
prices were set according to the theory of fair pricing based upon the average product cost of all the firms plus a standard percentage markup. The price was kept uniform for every customer. There was no price discrimination. And of course, we're talking about the old Soviet Union. It might have been fair in theory, but not in actuality because the prices did not reflect the value as perceived by the customer. Supply did not respond to demand. And it ends by saying the pricing system was inequitable, unequal, uncontrollable, and opaque. The prices were wrong, and that's not fair. And that came out of a book called The Price is Wrong, Understanding What Makes a Price Seem Fair and the True Cost of Unfair Pricing by Sarah Maxwell, 2008. And I just love that little story because it's so right that, I mean, what would be more fair than cost plus pricing? Same price applies to anybody who buys the milk, bread, whatever it is. Uh, There's no price discrimination. There's no dynamic pricing. There's no surcharge like Uber, right? Surge pricing. None of that. And yet <laughs> you couldn't buy anything in the in the stores because they didn't have anything. No. And 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 this is this is still what the the the, the democratic socialists are shooting for today, Ron. Yeah. This is that th- this is the bizarre thing. This is this is what they're looking for. This this universal fairness. I mean, and and talking about, for example, gasoline, you know, why I, I see ga- gasoline prices get higher as you drive away from Houston. Sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It, it, it just in one in, in, in the state of Texas and simply because of the, the cost of transport is factoring into the local local pricing structure. Sure. People around right? here complain. I mean, Richmond has got, you know, oil refineries here and there's oil right here. And yet we pay unbelievably high prices here in California. And I'm not just talking about the gas taxes that the governor just Yeah, which is almost a buck, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a whole nother issue, maybe for the bonus episode. But yeah, Um, you know, and it's like, and Thomas Sowell points out that homes along the ocean command high prices, right? And people, he says, you know, but this doesn't prove that fresh air uh, causes greed, right? (laughs) The prices convey information about the scarcity of those homes along the ocean, right? They're not unlimited. And, and there's just the whole, the, the fact that prices transmit information and they allocate resources. And people don't understand at the macro level what prices do, I think, well enough. And, and, and that's why libertarians and you know, free market people can look at a aftermath of an earthquake and, and see bottled water go up 10 times or hotel rooms or lumber, whatever it is, and go, yeah, that's the market working. That's going to get the guy off the couch in Ohio to drive the truck down and bring more supplies to where they're most needed. Right. But boy, that's not how everybody else sees it. Yeah, you know that's why you need more more roofers and framers who come come in after uh, the uh, the hailstorm. We had a hailstorm here in, in in Texas some weeks ago. Everybody in my neighborhood needs a new roof, right? Wow, wow. And it, everybody, right? So it, it's it, uh, if you want to get somebody and have your roof fixed today, you're going to pay more of a premium. Sure. If you're willing to wait until September, October, guess what? They're going to give you a, a better deal, right? Wow. Did it take out your roof too? Oh yeah, oh yeah. We're knock wood. This is the first roof that we've replaced in 15 years, which is almost unheard of in Texas, by the by. But wow. Yeah. And and you know it needs to be said too, Ed. On the on the you know we talked about prices, 
but when we switch over to profits. Yeah, let's go I, there now. Yeah, I, I can't emphasize enough that profits come from risk. And no, no wage earner, salary person is going to work for stock options only. But that's what an owner's doing. There's no predetermined guaranteed return when you launch a business. You're paying a whole bunch of people before you earn a dollar. Paying a supply chain, suppliers, employees, all sorts of things, and you're not guaranteed anything. Right. Yep. Yep. And then, and, well, and let's make that transition. So we, I think we've dealt with with the notion of unfair prices and how what we think they are and are not. For the, and for the most part, they they do exist, but rare. Is that a fair summary? Yep. All right. So let's talk about profit, though. What 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 would make a profit unfair? What would make well, a this profit is interesting. unfair? This is this is where I'm going to wonk out on you. All right, Wonk, give me give me uh, one. But, this is this is economic wonk, but but everybody has heard these terms, but I, I don't not sure how many people understand the definition. I certainly didn't until I started looking into the literature. There's obviously normal profits, right? We hear this term normal profit, and that's a return to the owner um, where the net economic return is zero, but the cost includes the cost of capital, right? So they're getting their cost of capital back, all the costs, and just um, but the but the the net return is zero. There's no there's nothing above that. So they're getting their cost of capital back. Right? So basically, if you just took all your money and dumped it into te- treasury bills, right? You'd probably you'd probably do better off. It's a perfectly competitive market. You know the assumption okay. of perfectly competitive market, uh, but you get your cost of capital back. You're not lo- you're not losing money. You're not losing. I mean, you know, you can earn a profit but not earn your cost of capital back, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the distortions in gap accounting. They don't talk about the, you know, the so-called economic cost of profits not factored into the, the income statement. So you're still, you're making a profit, but it's normal because you're just getting your return of capital back. Right. But then there's super normal profits and that's profits in excess of normal profits. And those occur when revenues exceed costs, again, including the cost of capital right? Sometimes these are identified with monopoly profits. So when you look at companies like Apple, you know, would be in this category, Porsche, um, BMW, you know, the, yeah, BMW. Well, actually, you know, BMW is kind of hurting. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They've, uh, they've taken some hits. They're going to lay off some folks. Oh, wow. Uh, Okay. Really interesting. Um, in fact, I got a story, uh, in the stack about Volkswagen, uh, which is really interesting too. Because uh, Volkswagen doesn't make any money, they make eleven cars, eleven million cars a year. The largest automobile manufacturer in the world. The only two lines that make money for them make most mm-hmm. of their profits: Porsche and Audi. Wow, I do believe they own Lamborghini too, but I don't know how profitable Lamborghini is. But anyway, so that's super normal profits. But then there's windfall profits. And windfall profits have a very specific economic definition, and that is when the event causing the profit is a complete surprise to the profit maker. Black Swan. Black Swan. OPEC oil embargo, 70s, right? There was two of them, 74, what was it, 79, 77, I forget, you know, when gas lines and all of that. Right. Um, I, I, probably the uh, Harry Potter books, great example of windfall profit. I mean, totally unexpected. Nobody thought that book would, in fact, I think 12 publishers turned it down. Uh, Niagara. 
yeah, yeah, Viagra. Um, then, of course, there's profits from immoral activities, extortion, theft, blackmail. And there's even some libertarian thinkers like Walter Block who defend extortion, not theft, but extortion and blackmail. He defends and says, look, it's value exchanged for value. You know, I know something about you. You don't want it to get out. You pay me to keep my mouth shut. He has no problem with that transaction. And he builds a really strong case for it. We, we got to do a show on his book, Defending the in, Indefensible, mm-hmm. or the undefined or un, undefendable or whatever he calls it. Um, it's great. But, well, um, I mean, that's the that's the Oscar Wilde quote, right? No one is rich enough to purchase back their reputation. They're, they're exactly. Past, past. Yeah. And it's also the Robert Nozick quote, uh, you know, capitalist acts between consenting adults. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I, I really do think that distinction is kind of important because we're not, you know, when people talk about exorbitant profit, whether, I mean, CEO pay is really a price, but whether we're talking about that, uh, and, and on CEO pay, I, I just was listening to Tyler Cowan on another podcast, in fact, the Free Thought guys, um, and he made a great point, uh, in, and this is in his new book, you know, Big Business or whatever, um, which we talked to him about a little bit. But he said, look, if if CEOs get paid with stock options and and shares, right, and the stock market's been going up you know, pretty good clip for the last 20 years, at least in the long run, there's been blips and whatnot. Yeah. You would expect CEO pay to increase. And that's what exactly what you would expect. And that's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Oh. That's, yeah. Well. So it's pretty rare to make windfall profits. I mean, they can happen. We did a show on the tip clause. That would be an example of a windfall profit. Although you could argue maybe it's not completely unexpected, but um, it might be. And, Windfall profits are kind of rare. You know, profits are only 10% of the, of, of the income in the, in, the, in the national income accounts. Profits account for, I think it's 10 or 12%. I think they have blipped up a little bit over mm-hmm. the past 10 years or so. But think about how important they are in allocating the other 90% of resources. Well, that's, that's, that's really the key, right? I mean, the, the whole notion that Gilder has really expanded on that the, that the, the, the economy is best thought of at more or should be more thought of not as a, an incentive system, but as an information system, right? right? The notion that what profits, profits let you do is, Hey, Hey, you know, you're, you're, you're doing it for less cost than the revenue. And that's a good thing. The profit is an indicator of your altruism quote mm-hmm. just always flows back to me whenever we begin to talk about this. And I, you know, I always preface this with, you know, I think it's in the long term, right? Is, is it, is there a sh- short term situation where profits can be gouged by, or, or not gouged, but people can just take advantage of a certain situation? Yes. But if, if in the long run, that's their business practices, they're not going to be successful. Yeah. Apple is the great example. Apple continues to be super normal profits, I would say. I don't know if I would go with windfall, but certainly super normal profits. And yeah, you have your your haters who hate Apple, right? Mm -hmm. But for the most part, their customers, including you and me, as we sit here in front of our Apple computers with our iWatches on and or Apple watches and uh, phones next to us are pretty dang happy. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Same with Uber, even with all the surge pricing and and all of that, um, you know, and, and Ayn Rand nailed Gilder in one of her last talks. And I do have that talk, by the way. And uh, she doesn't name, she actually doesn't name him. 
She names yeah. the book he wrote, but she, she blossomed for altruism. But what Gilder said was the essence of giving is not the absence of an expectation of earning a return, but the absence of a predetermined return, right? And so he said a gift is defined not by the absence of any return, but the absence of a predetermined return. Unlike socialist investments, investments under capitalism are analogous to gifts. Yep. Yep. Great stuff. All right. Well, we'll we'll close this out after we finish to come come back from our last break. Want to remind you the website, of course, thesoulofenterprise.com, show notes and uh, previews to upcoming shows. Uh, our calendar, as I mentioned out there. And lastly, just want to remind you, Ron t- talked earlier about our bonus episode. For those of you who don't know, we do release bonus episodes as well as episodes commercial free on our Patreon site. And that can be found at patreon.com slash TSOE. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Market competition leads a self-interested person to wake up in the morning, look outside at the earth, and produce from its raw materials not what he wants, but what others want. Not in the quantities he prefers, but in the quantities his neighbors prefer. Not at the price he dreams of charging, but at a price reflecting how much his neighbors value what he has done. This great quote, Ron, which is in your book, Implementing Value Pricing from Frederick von Hayek just really sums up a lot of what we talked about today. It does. I, I just, just love this notion of it's about it's all about the outside, man. It's all yep. it's all about what goes on out there, not what goes on inside here. And and that's why Ed, when I read Gilder's Wealth and Poverty in '81, and he, he equated the economy to gift giving, and I, which is so. It, it sounds wacky, doesn't it? It's beyond it like- counterintuitive. Like it's, <laughs> it's not, it's, it, well, as he puts it, it doesn't turn it, it doesn't turn it upside down. It turns it inside, inside out. Inside out. 
Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. He did that with monetary theory. He did that with Keynesianism and all of that. But, and, 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 but, but somebody as intelligent as Ayn Rand could not wrap her head around that. No. But yeah, no, no that's, a, that's a great quote because it's all, it's all other directed, right? You've got to please the customer. Yep. And you're yep. taking a big risk in the process. And Gilder... And well, I just, mention, I just want to mention this one thing, Ron, because I think, and we've done shows on this when, we, when we've talked strategy before, and I, and, and this, this continues to come up in, in conversations that I have, I don't know about you, but it's the, I think it's the mistake that most people, when they begin strategic planning, make, and that is they ask the question, how much revenue are we going to produce in a given time period for the strategy, two years, five years, whatever the stupid period is. And that's the first question. If you're doing balanced scorecard, if you're doing uh, entrepreneurial operating system, even the, you know, those new ones that are out there, the, the, what is it? The shells scenario planning, right? All, all this stuff. First question, what's the revenue target in one form or another? And the mistake is to think that that's it and not how much value are we going to produce three years from now, five years from now? And how are we going to do that? And, and, I, and I, I, I blame the finance and accounting types for this because, you know, their world starts with revenue and they conflate revenue and value as being the same. Yep. And it's Seven equal credits. Yep. That's <laughs> it. That's it. It's it to a T. Yep. And Gilder's got a great line and I believe this comes from wealth and poverty, but he says capitalism offers nothing but frustrations and rebuffs to those who wish because of claim superiority of intelligence, birth, credentials, or ideals to get without giving, to take without risking, to profit without sacrifice, to be exalted without humbling themselves to understand others and meet their needs. Yep. This and is what, un unfortunately, the academics don't get, right? And this is, this is what I hear, and all to the, I know the burners out there, and there are probably some of you that listen to the show, this is what he doesn't get. He, you know, he just can't figure out why. And, and, and when asked when, you know, he made a million and a half dollars on his book, he's like, well, anybody can do it. You just write a book, you know, <laughs> write a good book, write a good book. Ed. I wrote a good book. You're going to hold me accountable. I wrote a good book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I did a great movie. I, I play baseball really well. I produced a, an incredible product. Uh, well, you didn't do that. Right. But yeah. did somebody ever say to Bernie, you know, it was really your teachers that taught you the alphabet. You know, right. it was really your teachers that taught you grammar, how to structure a sentence. And really what you should do, Bernie, is take all of that money and distribute it back out to all of your teachers that you had, you know, previously. No, there was no, no, no talk like that. None of that. So yeah. really what it comes down to, and I, I mentioned this earlier, and it's just, just to, to put the bow on it from my perspective, and then I'll let you run the show. But, <laughs> but this, this, this notion of fair, whenever I press people on it, fair. So what do you mean by a fair price? What do you mean by, what, what do you mean by you know, who, who decides? And the answer is always ultimately them. Yep. It's them. You know, <laughs> Walter, Walter Williams in his uh, just inimitable style says, only unreasonable people pay unreasonable prices. <laughs> You know, if you think something's unfair, don't buy it. Nobody's forcing you to buy it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. well, Ed, we got a iTunes review from Mark Stiving, who we're going to have on the show, by the way, and I'm really looking forward to it because he's, uh, he's a pricing guy and uh, he works in the space a lot and he, he loves pricing as much as we do. 
but he uh, gave us a five-star review on iTunes back in uh, April 27th. And he says, TSOE is one of my favorite podcasts. Ron and Ed tackle many different business topics, always from a unique perspective. They do their research and apply what they learn using their own mental frameworks. Well, we all do that, but their frameworks are fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Listen with curiosity and you'll sure, and you will surely learn a ton. So thank you so much, Mark. And, uh, we're really looking forward to uh, getting you on the show. By the way, it doesn't mean that anybody who reviews the show gets on the show. Just to you know, just to be fair. <laughs> just to be fair, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we do um, appreciate Mark Mark's review, and and certainly if you are out there, uh, if you don't have time to write a review, please at least give us a rating on the podcast. That's really important to us as well. But if you can look. You know, we don't ask much. We just, uh, just a uh, what, fifty words? That's not. We don't want that much. And but we promise, and we have done this. We have kept to this. Thirty-seven customer reviews. All thirty-seven have been read live on this show. So um, if you want to hear your name and give get a shout out, it's pretty simple. Just write a review of the Soul of Enterprise. And we really do appreciate it. And then just one more uh, house cleaning thing. I've got a new post up. Uh, on a website that we'll put a link to in the show notes and it's those darn beetles and the dramatic change in the accounting profession. And it basically tells the story of my father who was a barber in the, you know, when he was a union president of the barbers union in the sixties and he was talking to the barbers about what they needed to do to move into the future because, you know, the beetles were causing a decline in their revenue for the first time in a long time. Um, because you know, guys were growing their hair longer and not going to the barber as much. And um, it tells the story of what he did in response and, and just how pioneering it was and just really proud of it. And there's a picture of my dad up there. So we'll, we'll get that into the show notes because I think it's a, it's a really inspiring story. Yeah. Did he, was, was he, did he price fairly though, Ron? <laughs> yeah. Well, he jacked up his prices from, uh, I forget exactly what it was. It was like 275 or three and a quarter for a clipper cup. But then he went to hairstyling and he started charging 750 and then it went up to 10, 15, 20. I forget where he ended, but um, he, he did some healthy price increases, but he was delivering more value. Leap perceive, perceive value of his customers. That's for darn sure. Right. Yeah. You know, it kind of goes back to what Hector said in the subscription work workshop, which is just really sticking with me. Um, you know, I'm going to be looking for things that I'm not doing currently for my customers. And I think that's what you're getting at too. When you say start with value, not revenue in your strategic planning. Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's all, well, and look, this is just regurgitation of Peter Drucker too, which is where you're looking on the outside, right? You got to look outside the organization. Yeah, uh, look out the window as he used to say. And see you know, what's going yeah. On. The, the other, the other thing that, that and it's not related to our topic today, but I just want to get this out and maybe this isn't a whole nother show. Uh, you know, this, this notion of the fact that, that Peter Drucker said the, they're the only two, two functions of a business are, are marketing and innovation. Right. Right. And how professional fir services firms tend to outsource marketing. Yeah, that's a and great point. I think that this is a giant mistake. Like what yep. they should really do is outsource er everything else but marketing. I was just listening to a podcast today where a guy came from marketing and now he runs a state based think tank in Illinois. So he deals with all the Chicago politics and all of that. And boy, do they have some screwy things. But he said, um, you know, the first the first group of people we hired weren't the weren't the scholars. It was marketing people. 
You said we are a marketing based organization. Uh, yeah, that's really smart. Yep. All right, Ron. Well, we're finished for, for today. What do we, you know what next week is up next week? Uh, I think you we're going to do we're going to talk finally. I don't think we've ever touched this topic about compensation. So how do you compensate yeah. your employees? And uh, there's lots of different compensation plans out there. But I know you have some ideas around it. and I have some ideas around it. So we'll kick those around. Outstanding. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. <laughs>